We're going to dig into the third part of our Strength to Strength series. Some of us have been here all, all, uh, all along since the beginning of the year. If you haven't, feel free to check out our website, castlerockadventist.church. You can catch up on um, the, the past sermons there. Uh, last week, I gave you something to, to use as a self-assessment tool. Does anybody remember seeing this in their hands? We kind of gave you a lot last week. Um, but if you didn't pick one of these up, go ahead and raise your hand. It's a discipleship self-assessment. Anybody not get one? Yeah, awesome. So what this is, it's 16, I think, simple questions of ways to just kind of assess how your discipleship journey has been. Awesome. <clears throat> There's two there for you. Anybody else? On down the row here. Perfect. Cool. In the back. All right. I'll just give this back to you. <laughs> So this discipleship self-assessment, like I said, there's no right or wrong answer to all of this stuff. This is just supposed to be a tool for you to check out how are my habits, spiritually speaking, and how is that reflective of my own growth in Jesus? What we want is a, a journey with Jesus that goes from strength to strength, that, that, that doesn't just stay stagnant. Um, the last 10 days... Uh, we've had an awesome experience with 10 days of prayer, but uh, that wasn't what I was going to talk about the last 10 days. The last 10 days, I've actually been part of something here at the hospital called the Golden Sneaker Challenge. I don't know if anybody else is doing is Centura doing that at all? No? Anyway, so Golden Sneaker Challenge. They're forming teams in the hospital of 8 to 10 people, tracking their steps to see which team has the most steps after each week. And after the end of each week, are you doing this, Rhonda? No? Yeah? Okay. <laughs> I know you're a walker, so I was like, oh man, she'd be like off the charts there. Anyways, so, um, so I'm on the pastoral care team with Dave Martinez and stuff. We're called the Holy Strollers. Anyways, um, and yeah, I've been tracking my steps for the very first time, like each day, and I realize I am not moving. Oh man, like, you know, even just like moving around with the kids and taking care of the things at home and going from here to there and just working on sermons. Things like, you know, like, oh man, I am not moving. And uh, there's something about being able to look at a scorecard, right? There's something, uh, looking at a dashboard, looking at something that tells you, oh wait, you're kind of lacking in this. This is what the discipleship self-assessment tool is all about. I, when I took it last week, I was like, oh man, I'm like super passionate in this area, but when it comes to this area, wow, I could really grow. And so I hope that that would be um, a helpful tool for you. And again, that's just for your eyes only. You can talk about it with other people. In fact, there are reflection questions there. Hey, who can I ask to pray for me about growing in this or that habit? If you want to see my chart, there it is right there. Anyways, okay. So strength to strength. What can we do to grow in our journey with Jesus? Let's pray together as we begin. <clears throat> Father in heaven, once again, as we address this question of strength to strength, how do we have a progressive dynamic in our relationship with you, not one that grows stale or stagnant? Lord, I'm praying specifically just for a spirit of wisdom and revelation and that the things that we talk through would be more than just methods, but that this would be um, a reviving time for each and every one of us across the spectrum of our spiritual journey, our spiritual maturity, Lord, help us to find something that allows us to be revived in you and to go from strength to strength. We pray this in Jesus' name. Let the family say, Amen. Amen. There are a couple of verses in Scripture that refer to the Bible as a sword. Have you heard of that before? In Ephesians 6, it's the sword of the Spirit. 
Ephesians 4, verse 12, it says that this word is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, right? Um, sometimes, and, and we get this picture that this, this word is so powerful. But sometimes I wonder if we uh, envision the sword as being more like uh, King Arthur's sword in the stone. Like, we can't get it out. It's got so much power, but we've just got, like, when I open the Bible, I just fall asleep. Or when I open the Bible or I start my reading plans, you know, for two weeks I'm good. But then after that, I just kind of lose motivation, lose steam. Where is the power that this sword supposedly has? You know, today I hope that the things that we talk through um, would help us to experience personally the power and benefit of the Word of God. So we're going to go to a text to just kind of set the stage for us in John chapter 6. So go with me to John chapter 6. John chapter 6. And as we go there, I just want us to be thinking about, okay, we know that there's power in the Word, so why am I not experiencing power in the Word? Or how can I experience more power in the Word? Is it the fault of the Word? Or is it the fault of the student of the Word? (laughs) In John chapter 6, there's a really interesting story that takes place. New Testament, fourth book of the New Testament, John chapter 6. We'll start around the 40s. If you've found it, go ahead and say, I found it. All right, John chapter 6. Um, really, really interesting stories. The, the, the chapter starts with the feeding of the 5,000, right? You've got the five loaves and the two fishes, and Jesus feeds 5,000 plus people. And um, after that, the people want to make Jesus king. You know, oh man, he can make people well. He can even feed people from nothing. Man, we can take the armies of Rome, <laughs> you know, whenever there are casualties, ah, we'll just get right back up again. Whenever we run out of rations, Jesus will supply them. The people want to make Jesus king. And he kind of sends them away. He, he, he realizes that they don't have in mind what his true kingship means. Okay? And by the time you get to verse 40, 41, he says some things that kind of set the record straight about who he is. I'm not just this crazy healer. I'm not just someone who's going to take the throne of the Roman Empire. He says this to, in verse 41. The Jews then complained about him because he said, I am the what? I am the bread which came down from heaven. No, we want a king. We want a warrior. We want someone who's going to take out the Romans. And they said, is, the, uh, not, is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he says, I have come down from heaven? So you can kind of see the tension is rising. There's some questions going on. And then he says this in verse 48. He says, I am the bread of life. Your fathers ate the manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which comes down from heaven. That one may eat of it and not die. Verse 51. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my what? My flesh, which I shall give for the life of the world. Can you imagine? the facial expressions on people's faces as they're listening. I'm the bread of heaven. Eat this bread. My bread is, or my flesh is the bread that I want you all to eat. People are like, what in the world is this guy saying? Verse 52, the Jews therefore quarreled among themselves saying, how can this man give us his flesh to eat? Then Jesus said to them, verse 53, most assuredly, Then Jesus said to them, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, 
you have no life in you. And it's as if Jesus, at this point, is kind of reveling in the fact that he's confusing them. I don't know if you get, get that sense that Jesus is just like, hey, let me tell you even more that's going to make you cringe and like furrow your eyebrows and stuff like that. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is food indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood does what? Abides in me. Okay, this is something that we've been talking about over the last week or so. Abiding in Jesus, growing from strength to strength. And he's saying, if you really want to abide in me, eat me. (laughs) This is like, what in the world is Jesus talking about? But he's digging this in. Eat my flesh. Drink my blood. That's how you're going to abide in me and really stay connected. As the living Father sent me and I live because of the Father, so he who feeds on me will live because of me. This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers ate the manna and are dead. He who eats this bread, I imagine Jesus pointing to himself, he who eats this bread will live forever. These things he said in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Verse 60, Therefore, many of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is a what kind of saying? (laughs) Can you blame them? Right? Can you blame them? This is a hard saying. Who can understand it? When Jesus knew in himself that his disciples complained about this, he said to them, does this offend you? (laughs) What then if you should see the Son of Man ascend where he was before? And here, this clarifying verse, verse 63. It is the Spirit who gives life. The flesh profits how much? Nothing. The words that I speak to you are what? spirit and they are life jesus has been nailing this point eat me drink me this is how you abide in me and then he clarifies the flesh profits nothing guys (laughs) all this was just to kind of draw your attention the flesh profits nothing the spirit gives life so how do i get that the words that i speak to you they are spirit and they are So all this talk about eating Jesus, eating his flesh, drinking his blood, is all about eating his his words. Are we following that? Yes or no? Yeah? That's what the disciples were supposed to get. Verse 66, it says, From that time many of his disciples went back and walked with him no more. Then Jesus said to the twelve, Do you also want to go away? But Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Peter got it. It's like, oh, okay, I'm not just supposed to pour salt on your arm and start chewing and gnawing away. No, no, no. I'm supposed to grab hold of your words. Your words are eternal life. Jesus makes his comparison to bread as his word. That's why, you know, in Matthew chapter 4, verse 4, when he's in the wilderness, he quotes, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Have you heard that before? Jesus is quoting from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8. He says, no, no, no. It's not the physical bread that gives us life. It's the word of God that gives us life. What you need to abide in me, my words. And when you have my words, you have me. You follow? When you have my words, you have me. Bread. Bread satisfies life. Bread provides for our necessary existence. It has quickening power. And bread is not something that I can eat 
for you. Amen? Yeah. Man, have you ever had some fresh homemade bread in the oven? Like, hey, Debbie, can you eat that for me? No, I want that for myself. Bread must be eaten firsthand. The word of God, the word of Jesus. No one else can eat it for you. You will not find personal satisfaction and power unless you chew it yourself. Okay, so this is the, a big point that, that John, in his gospel, really wants to get across to, to the people that he's writing to. I don't know if you know this, but John was the last gospel written near 90 AD, maybe about 30, 40 years plus after Matthew, Mark, and Luke. John is writing to disciples who are about to see the last living apostle go away. The last link to Jesus in the flesh. And so their ultimate concern is, wait a minute, we, we never saw him. You know, we we didn't walk with him and talk with him like these guys did. John is about to go. Now what? Is our faith really real? And John wants to make a really big point throughout his gospel. You have the words of eternal life. When you receive the words, you receive Jesus. Do you follow? Do you follow? That's why, just a few chapters later, chapter 8, flip in your Bible, scroll down a little bit. John chapter 8, verse 31. We saw this last week. Actually, I think we had this on the screen. Yeah. Here we go. John 8, verse 31. John 15, verse 7. That's why John is making such a big deal about the words. The words. Then Jesus said to those Jews who believed in him, If you abide in what? My word. You are my disciples indeed. When you eat the bread, when you're eating my flesh and, and drinking my blood, you're actually eating my words to do that. That's how you're abiding. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. John 15, 7. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, you will ask what you desire and it shall be done for you. Abiding in Jesus is synonymous with abiding in his word and his word abiding in us. Are we following? Yes or no? Yeah? Okay, okay. So now the question is, how do I abide in the Word? I know how to open the Word, and my eyes know how to fall asleep in the Word. (laughs) But how do I abide in the Word so that it's like the living Word, so that it's a sword that is more powerful than any double-edged sword? How do I abide in the Word so that it's living bread, so that the words are spirit and life? That's the question we want to ask the rest of this time together today. So we're going to give just some essentials that I have found personally and that I think are are grounded in scripture. But for me, they they have made the difference. Today, there are going to be three essentials for abiding in the word. All right. They all start with the letter P. If you're taking notes, you can write these down. Number one, plan. Number two, process. Number three, practice. All right. Plan, process. And then what was the last one? Practice. Plan, process, practice practice. So the preview, a plan for daily study. Two, a process for prayerful study. And then three, putting into practice the things you study. These are the three essentials that I think for me have made a difference for me in abiding in the word. So first one, we're going to go essential number one, developing a daily reading plan. Developing a daily reading plan. Uh, We have to give ourselves a clear path. To actually get into the word, you know, um, we have to we have to give ourselves a clear path to getting into the Bible every day. Clearing a path starts with making a plan. I think making a plan. The reality is this. I, I think you all know this. Life tends towards overactivity, right? 
life tends towards um, reactionary busyness, as I was calling it earlier this week, kind of realizing um, where the urgent things overwhelm the important things. Has that ever happened to you? The things that are urgent, the whirlwind of everyday urgency takes over the things that you know are important. Exercise, it's important, but it's not urgent, right? And so more urgent things will take over those important things. Reading the Bible, that's important, but it's not urgent. It's not emergency type, you know? And so the whirlwind of everyday stuff will always take over those important things unless we make a plan for it. This is just a very practical step. Things that we plan for become things that we can plan on. Whether it's time with your spouse, time with your kids, time for exercise, time for eating. <laughs> if you make a plan for these things, they're more likely to happen, right? Yeah, even with, with meals and things, even though, yeah, that can be routine. Uh, brushing your teeth, that can be routine. But you have to have a plan for it. Otherwise, the urgency of things will, will kind of overwhelm that, all right? So they're more likely to get done when we have a plan. Um, they turn into reality. They don't just remain good ideas. So making a daily plan. So there's, there are certain benefits, I think, um, if, you, if we have a plan. For example, when you have a plan, you know when you're not keeping the plan, right? You have a dashboard, you have a scorecard, you have something that allows for, for greater accountability and even progress checking. Um, so let's talk a little bit about plan, developing a plan for daily study. Uh, there's two parts to this. One is planning for routine, like planning for the actual exercise of getting into the Bible. When I say that, I'm talking about setting a regular time of day and a realistic length of time. <laughs> um, so what I would suggest to you, some, some people like the mornings, some people like the evening, some people even like midday. What I would suggest is t- find the freshest time of day for you and make it a regular time of day. Make it a regular time of day and a realistic length of time. Don't give yourself, if you're just starting off with a plan, Don't give yourself 60 minutes right off the bat. Give yourself a realistic time for getting into this. Does does that make sense? I mean, you know your habits. You know your your attention. You know your your limitations and things like that. But plan for a routine. And I would just recommend, if you're just getting started, start with the same time of day for 15 minutes a day. And baby step it up. Baby step it up, all right? Give yourself some momentum. Snowball a sense of, of success. Like, okay, I did 15 minutes yesterday. I can do 15 minutes today, you know? Um, yeah, so plan for a routine. Plan for a routine. And then the other thing is this. Plan for a reading. I don't know how many times this has happened to you, but it happens to me a lot. When I get up in the morning and I don't have a specific plan of what I'm going to read that day, um, I spend like the first 15 minutes asking, what should I read right now? Has that ever happened to you? <laughs> you see, I don't know. Maybe it's just me. I just waste a lot of time. Well, what... <clears throat> What should I read? I look up some things. No, I don't want to read that. What should I read? If you have a plan for what you're going to read, if you're following a certain plan of like a chapter a day through the Gospels for 15 minutes a day, I don't know. Maybe it's a story of day in the Gospel of Mark. Just get really, really specific. Um, Give yourself a plan. Pick a book. Work through it passage by passage. And I would say if you're starting with 15 minutes, don't do it chapter by chapter because sometimes chapters can take way too long actually dig through. 
Um, start with a unit. Start with a section, like a paragraph, like where the subheading starts and the subheading ends. You know, Use that for your 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be a whole chapter, but just kind of pick a book and work through that. Whether it's the Gospels, I would recommend starting with the Gospels if you're just getting into this. I would recommend specifically starting with Mark. Mark is awesome. Or Acts. Acts is awesome. Just like really simple, short stories. Um, just give yourself a plan for reading. Give yourself a plan for reading. I know this is like super like kind of nuts and bolts, but are we following this okay? Is this, does this sound helpful to you? How many of you, just by a show of hands, have, are currently engaged in a plan or have used a Bible reading plan in the past? Yeah? Awesome. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Very cool. Very cool. If you're looking for resources of different plans, you're wanting a, a, a different plan that you, you haven't used before or something, uh, Bible.com has some really awesome reading plans. That's the, same, that's the website behind the, the Bible app, Bible.com or BibleGateway.com. Just click on the, the plans tab. It's BibleGateway.com or Bible.com slash reading dash plans. Anyways, awesome, awesome suggestions there for, for a, a, a reading plan. What's really cool, if you actually use the app, it gives you a simple way to progress check. And if you're connected with people socially on the Bible app, they know when you've completed... I don't know, it just it allows for like a collaborative learning environment and stuff, so kind of move along together. Okay, so that's number one, develop a plan. Um, I, would, I would say this, don't try number two and number three if you haven't tried number one, okay? <laughs> so start with that, start that. That's, that's the first simple step. Give yourself a clear path to actually getting into the Bible for a set amount of time at a set time of day. We good? Develop a reading plan, daily reading plan, all right. Second one, essential number two is process, process. Engage a process of prayerful study. Okay, so I've got a plan. I'm going to wake up, and at 6 o'clock from 6 to 6.15, I'm going to follow this plan of just reading a little bit from the Gospel of Mark, just for 15 minutes. So it's 6, and I wake up, and I open the Bible, and I read the passage. What now? This sword is still stuck in the stone. This bread, I have no idea how to chew this thing, you know? What is the process that we can go through where it's not just dry reading, but it's, I I like this phrase, it's not my phrase, prayerful study. Prayerful study. In other words, it's study where it's conversational with God. Do you follow that? This isn't the kind of study that is studying for, um, for understanding. It's not necessarily study for doctrinal clarity. It's studying for relationship. You guys see the difference there? I think one, I mean, obviously there's a place for studying for doctrine, studying for understanding. We need to understand what God's plans are, who he is, because that affects my relationship, how I relate to that God, right? We need to understand doctrine. We need to understand details. But your 15 minutes or however many minutes in the morning, Give yourself time to study for relationships. Study for relationships. Do we follow that okay? So, prayerful study. Question is, how do we do it? How do we do it? Um, go with me to John chapter 5. John chapter 5, verse 39. Actually, two, two passages we're going to go to. John 5, verse 39. Hold a finger there and also find... In your Bibles, 2 Timothy, I'm sorry, 1 Timothy chapter 2. 1 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. 
Timothy is in the New Testament. All the T books are clumped together there. 1 Timothy chapter 2. All right. I'm sorry, 2 Timothy chapter 2. <laughs> 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 15. When you found both of them, go ahead and say, I found them. All right. Still looking, still looking. 2 Timothy 2, 15. And you've also got a finger in John 5, verse 39. 2 Timothy 2, verse 15. I'm reading from the New King James. The Bible says this. Be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. There's an appeal here. Do you hear the appeal? Be diligent. Be diligent to do what? To present yourself to God. How so? How so? As a workman or a worker who doesn't need to be ashamed. Well, how does, how does an unashamed worker stand before God? Here, rightly dividing the word of truth. How? Rightly dividing the word of truth. Is it possible then, by implication, that there is a wrong way to divide the word of truth? Yeah? <laughs> yeah, there is, there is. There, there is a way for the, sto- the sword to still be stuck in the stone. It's not on the part of the, the sword that has no power. No, it's sometimes we just don't know how to handle it. Sometimes we just don't know how to wield it. Rightly dividing the word of truth. And in John 5, verse 39, I think this is an example, like, man, exhibit A of how so many times, not just the people here in Scripture, but in our day, we, we miss the power of the word. John 5, verse 39. John 5, 39, Jesus is speaking. It's red letters in my Bible. He's speaking to the Pharisees and he says this, You search the scriptures, for in them you think you have eternal life, and these are they which testify of me, but you are not willing to come to me that you may have life. Listen to the rebuke. He's rebuking people who thoroughly understand the word of God. Or at least they thoroughly know what the Word of God says. Yeah? He says, you search these scriptures because you think you have eternal life in them, but these are the scriptures that testify about me, Jesus says. And you refuse to come to me so that you can have life. There's a way to mishandle the Word of God where we have all the answers about the concept of God and what His plans are, and yet we totally miss Jesus. Ah! Right? We totally miss Jesus. So there's a distinction between studying for understanding, doctrinal clarity, and studying for relationship where I know Jesus. I talk to him and he talks to me. How? By abiding in his word. So how do we engage a process of prayerful study? A couple quick quotes. This is so awesome. There is but little benefit derived from a hasty reading of the scriptures. Can you say amen to that? I don't know if you've ever tried Okay, the whole Bible in 30 days. I've tried it. It's hard. (laughs) 40 chapters a day. It's doable for like two days, but then after that, it's like, oh man. There is but little benefit derived from a hasty reading of the scriptures. So one thing we want us to know is that this process of prayerful study doesn't involve haste. Okay? It involves being still and knowing God. Okay, so 15 minutes. That's why I recommend just a few verses if you're just going to do 15 minutes. So you're not rushing. 
There's but little benefit derived from a hasty reading of the scriptures. One may read the whole Bible through and yet fail to see its beauty or comprehend its deep and hidden meaning. <laughs> Pharisees. Right? Okay, so um, let's keep going. One passage studied until its significance is clear to the mind and its relation to the plan of salvation is evident is of more value than the perusal of many chapters with no definite purpose in view and no positive instruction gained. I don't know why, but the image of just window shopping just kind of came to mind. You're walking through Target. Oh, that's nice. That's nice. That's the perusal of Scripture. The perusal of the... No, no, no. You want one passage until its significance is clear to the mind, until its relation to the plan of salvation is evident. That's of more value. And then it keeps going. We cannot obtain wisdom without earnest attention. And there's the phrase, prayerful study. All right. As the miner discovers veins of precious metal concealed beneath the surface of the earth, so will he who perseveringly searches the word of God as for hid treasure find truths of the greatest value which are concealed from the view of the what kind of seeker? Friends, I don't want to be a careless seeker. I want to be a miner. Miners know that the good stuff is down deep. So they're going to go through a process of digging. And that takes time. So the process of prayerful study. How is it? What do we do? What do we do? What do we do? Here are two simple things for, for this process, okay? Reread it to relive it. And then reread it to hear from God. Okay? Um, there are a lot of different, like, uh, different ways to package this idea. Um, there's a lot of different acronyms that you can find online for how to study the Bible and stuff. This is just, this is just what works for me. Okay? So I, I'm just giving it to you the way that I think about it. When I read a passage, I'm going to do two things. I'm gonna, well, first I'm going to read it, but then I'm going to read it again. I'm going to reread it to relive it, and then I'm going to reread it to hear from God. That's my personal process of prayerful study. All right? And we're going to try this. We're just going to experiment. We'll see how this goes. We're going to pretend that we're having personal devotions right now. All right? And it's 6 o'clock and I have 15 minutes. And my passage for the day is in Mark chapter 1. So go with me to Mark chapter 1. Don't worry. Nobody else is around. <laughs> Mark chapter 1. And we're going to read it. And then we're going to reread it to relive it. And then we're going to read it a third time to hear from God. All right. So Mark chapter 1. Mark chapter 1. Oh, you know what? I have this on the screen. This is great. Okay. <laughs> so we're going to read it. Mark chapter 1, verses 40 to 42. I read it one time through. Now, a leper came to him, imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Then Jesus moved with compassion, stretched out his hand and touched him. And said to him, I am willing, be cleansed. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. All right, quick read. It took like 30 seconds, right? I read it, but now I'm going to reread it for the purpose of reliving it. In other words, I'm going to put myself in the story. I'm going to hear the sounds. I'm going to smell the smells. I'm going to feel the emotions. And I might even ask questions in order to kind of catch all those details. I might ask questions that only the text can answer. Okay? So let's reread it to relive it. Now a leper came to him, 
imploring him, kneeling down to him and saying to him, if you are willing, you can make me clean. Question, we're just going to stop right there, verse 40. Did you hear anything when you relived that passage? What did you hear? You heard, say it again. Imploring. Okay, so you heard a voice, but it was a certain kind of voice. Yeah. Desperation. You heard desperation. Yeah, what else did you hear? Okay. Okay, okay. So some, some level of knowledge that there's this will that I can align with, things like, okay, so you're hearing theological understanding too. Uh, someone said kneeling. Yeah? Okay, so you see, you see a posture, right? This is a posture that matches the feeling of desperation or the sound of desperation, right? Okay, um, anything else that you uh, saw or heard in verse 40? Or maybe, maybe we can ask, how about this? Let's, let's try this. So something, if I feel stuck, I'm not like really reliving this passage, I'll start asking questions that only the passage can answer. So, who came to Jesus? A leper. And suddenly just answering that question in my mind brings up pictures, brings up feelings. What pictures, feelings, smells does leper bring to your mind? Decay, not necessarily pleasure, but pain, or maybe the lack of pain, because you've had so much of it, right? Any smells? For me, yeah. Maybe let's not talk about that one. (laughs) But yeah, suddenly, these simple details just kind of play out the movie in your mind, so to speak. Does that, do you make sense of that? Do you track with that? So we're asking simple questions. Can somebody else ask a question about verse 40 that can only be answered in verse 40? What did the leper say? Okay, yeah, what did the leper say? If you're willing, you can make me clean. Yeah. Okay. Okay, okay. So you're, now that you're looking at what he's saying, if you're willing, you can make me clean. You see something here. You can. Like, you see faith in his power to make clean. But what is he unsure? Oh, go ahead. Ooh. Okay, who is the one that needs to be willing? Wow. Well, from the leper's perspective, we know what he would say. But then, yeah, from God's perspective, God already knows he's willing. Yeah, yeah. So uh, going back to the faith thing, man, so if I'm just tracking with this, okay, so I hear faith. He can. Yeah, oh, man, I want to be like, God, you can make me clean. What is he unfaithful about? Or what is he unbelieving about? His willingness. Yeah, the willingness of Jesus to actually do something for him. Man. Now all of a sudden you're feeling the emotion of this. Here's a guy that has been desperate for so long. He knows that there's only one person that can help him, but he's not even sure if he would want to. Have you ever felt like that? Like, God, I know you can do this, but would you even want to for me? You felt so distant. You felt so broken and decrepit and decayed and rebellious would you even want to? Why would you even want to? Ah, oh, man, I'm not even going to come. 
<laughs> I mean, all of a sudden, I'm seeing myself in the story. Do you, do you follow that? Yeah, so when we reread it, to relive it, we actually start seeing ourselves in the story. Are we following? Oh, man. And that's just one verse. Praise the Lord. Okay, so, um, reread. Oh, go ahead, please. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. He's kneeling down. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Amen. Amen. So you're starting to kind of character sketch the leper, what he's thinking, what he's feeling. And then as you're doing this to relive it, you're kind of in the leper's shoes. Now you start, wow. Some of his story actually matches with my story. You know? Some of his questions actually match with my questions. Anyways, we could keep going to re, re, relive this. Then Jesus moved with compassion. So a question about verse 41. What was Jesus moved by? What was Jesus? Compassion. I love that. When Jesus sees your decay, you ever wonder what he's moved by? He's not moved to throw up. <laughs> he's moved with compassion. Oh, I love it. I love it. And then what is his assurance in verse 41, I am willing. Question, did he give the assurance in word only? Isn't that beautiful? I don't know what your love language is, but Jesus knows it. <laughs> he knows what you need. Not just the word of affirmation, but the touch of healing and hope. Man, he knows that. He knows that. As soon as he had spoken, immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. Okay, so I have reread it to relive it, but then I'm going to read it again, and this time I'm going to read it to hear from God. So I'm actually conversing with God about it. I'm not just asking myself things about the details. I'm going to actually ask God about it. I'm going to listen and let him speak to me um, so that it becomes a conversation. And this is one thing that I do when I ask God. I ask him, what do you want me to hear? Simply. From this story, this story, Jesus, it's 6.12 now. What do you want me to hear? (laughs) What do you want me to hear? And I will just, I'll I'll try to be still enough to kind of let my eyes, I don't know if this happens to you, like when you're reading a certain passage, like for some reason when you keep, going over it, like, there's a phrase that just pops out. There's a phrase that just kind of grabs hold of your heart and says, look at me, you know? Um, But as you're looking, verses 40, 41, and 42, is there one? And just ask God, God, is there something you want me to hear, something you want me to really pay attention to? I'll ask you that. Is there something? Is there a phrase? Is there a loaded word or a detail? Yeah? I want you to say bent because it's actually right that's talking. I don't have to bend. Hmm, okay. Yeah. Okay, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So this, this whole, like, just his posture and, and his action of begging and, yeah. Oh, yours says beg. Okay, perfect. Praise the Lord. Okay, cool. What, what's the detail for you that, that, boom. I am willing. Awesome. How about for you? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, yeah, stretched out his hand. I love that. Stretched out his hand and touched him. Meaning he was probably trying to keep his distance, right? 
<laughs> so he had to strike. Yeah, what's the detail? As soon as, okay. Yeah. Wow. As soon as he had spoken. Woo! Fun, fun, fun. Wow. Wow, wow, wow. So there must have been something about what he had spoken that triggered in this man's mind that tipped the scale from unbelief to belief and allowed for god to actually do something wow ah, okay cool so for you that would be your phrase okay so so you've got this phrase that's popping out god what do you want me to hear what do you want me to hear and talk to him about it why do you want me to hear that that as soon as you spoke why do you want me to hear the begging part why do you want me to pay attention to this right now okay and so it's just a conversation from there and if you want to get a little bit deeper into that conversation um just use john five thirty nine. You know, hey, these are the scriptures that testify about me. What do you want me to hear about you from that detail? Yeah? So the detail about begging. God, what do you want me to hear about you from this thing about begging? That you're not one who wants me to grovel before you? What do you want me to hear about this stretching out of your hand? That you're going to span the distance, whatever distance I, I leave between us and you, you're going to span that distance? What are you going to, what, what do you want me to see about you? I am willing. Whoa. <laughs> are we following? Does this make sense? Yeah, this is going to take way more than 15 minutes, right? When, <laughs> when you're, no, but the point is this. Prayerful study. Engage the process of prayerful study. So you've reread it to relive it. You've reread it to hear from God. And now all of a sudden, these aren't just answers that you can figure out who God is. This is, hey daughter, hey son, I want you to hear something about me. God's speaking to each and every one of us. And I guarantee you, he wants to speak to you every day. So give yourself a plan to sit before God and let him speak to you. Give yourself a process to reread it, to relive it, and to hear from God. All right, there is one more P. I know time's going and potluck's waiting, but here we go. (laughs) Essential number three, practice. Be deliberate and direct about applying the word to everyday life. I'll tell you what, when you engage the process, number two, um, you're going to feel so satisfied, like, wow. This is awesome. Thank you for this bread. <laughs> okay. Um, but the, this is a step that I often neglect. And over the last two weeks, um, as I've been engaging a new plan, I have been really enjoying this. But God actually has instruction for me today from what I'm reading. And so be deliberate and direct about applying the word to everyday life. In other words, find the application. Find the application. Um, there is something about, uh, it's in James chapter one. He says that anyone who hears the word only and does not do it, they're deceiving themselves. Okay. So why, why do we have to go through this third step of the practice? Because I don't just want to hear from God. I also want to do what he says. Yeah. If there's a, a truth about his character 
that, I, that he wants me to hear, well, then the, the question then is, well, what do you want me to do about that, God? Is there something in my view of you, in my relationship with you, that needs to align more closely with the fact that you are willing? You know? um, is there something about your example of spanning the distance between those who feel like they can't come to you? Is there a way that I can be part of you stretching out your hand to touch somebody today? I don't know. These are questions that take it from, oh, that's a nice story, to this is what God wants me to do today. <laughs> you know, God is speaking to our everyday existence, our everyday reality. And uh, really, this is about making it personal. It's about making it practical. And you could even say it's about making it provable. Because when you see that you're doing this, then you realize, wow, I am actually living the word of God. Going back to that text that Jesus quotes in the wilderness. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word of God. We can actually live out the word of God. But the Bible isn't just something to kind of be more right than everybody else. The Bible is something to live by. God is speaking to us. Are you excited to get into your word? <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. So, again, let's see here. The, the, the three essentials. Have a plan. Have a process for prayerful study. And then put into practice the things that you study. I think about Jesus. You know, earlier today, Jose asked the question, man, why, why did Jesus have to pray? <laughs> right? I mean, he's the son of God. He is God. Why does he need that relationship? Same, thing, same question could be, why would Jesus take time to reflect on the word of God? He is the word of God, right? He was the one who was speaking to Moses in the wilderness. Why would he have to take time to reflect on the scriptures of Deuteronomy? When he, I mean, imagine him in the wilderness. He is deep in Deuteronomy chapter 8. So when the devil comes to him and tempts him, um, Jesus is quoting straight from Deuteronomy chapter 8. Why, why would Jesus need that? Why? To live by it. In his humanity, Jesus to be our example. Yeah, in his humanity, he gave us an example of what it is to really live as a child of God. What it is to live in relationship with God. Oh, that's how. That's how. I don't know if he had a daily reading plan, but I know that he talked with God through the word. I know it. You see him on the cross. He is not just saying random scriptures from the cross because that's like his default mechanism whenever he's in pain. No, no, no. He is, he is quoting scripture because he's talking to God and God is talking to him. When he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's not just crying. He's, he's praying scripture. Scripture has become so embedded into his life that when he's saying that, he knows that at the end of the psalm, it says, it is finished. <laughs> By the end of that psalm, Psalm 22, where he's quoting in verse 1, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? That's Psalm 22, verse 1. By the end of that chapter, it's a psalm of praise. God is going to be victorious. You have done it. <laughs> Jesus is living by the word all the way to the cross. Friends, Jesus died so that you and I could live the word of God. Jesus died he came from heaven to be the bread so that when he gave his words, we could receive bread and receive him. How many of us this week want to receive the words of eternal life? 
Yeah? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, we want to go from strength to strength. And the simple things that we've heard today, um, Lord, we're asking that you would put them into practice. Uh, Help us to start where we need to start. If it's the planning part, planning for the routine, planning for the reading, help us start right there. If it's the process part, God, just just cause us to to really uh, remember how to talk with you over the word, through the word. Lord, please cause the word to come to life to us. Cause us to hear your voice speaking to us. Like it says in Isaiah 50 verse 8, the Lord God has given me the tongue of the learned that I would know how to speak a word in season to him who is weary. He awakens me morning by morning. He awakens my ear to hear as I learn. God, I want that experience for me. And I pray for that experience for our church. Morning by morning, day by day, you would awaken our ears to hear from you. And when we hear from you, God, don't let us just be hearers. Move us into being doers of your word. And we live by the word, just as Jesus did. Thank you so much for this beautiful revelation of who you are. In Jesus' name, let the family say, Amen. Amen. Amen.